we're on. Welcome, welcome everyone to the Fight Sites pre-fight discussion panel, the January Asian special, with everyone involved being of Asian origin or descent in some way, shape or form, which means we got about uh, 1.7 sextillion potential viewers, the number of Chinese people currently inhabiting our planet, according to Brian Campbell. Not that I have anything against white folks, so don't get me wrong. Ed's chickened out of this discussion due to a massive case of stage fright due to horrifically butchering my question on his wrestling for MMA podcast because he has the reading comprehension of a five-year-old. So me and Sriam are going to do our best to steer this conversation into a hopefully illuminating and interesting direction. Uh, I'm Iggy. Uh, you, may, you may know me as Changus Khan on Twitter and uh, the host of Tengri Dome. That's currently on a bit of a hiatus, which is something I'm going to rectify in the nearest future. And today we're joined by Daniel Tom of MMAJunkie.com and Daniel Tom, the YouTube channel, where you can find the Protect Your Net podcast hosted by Daniel Tom and Paul Ree from Southpaw. Uh, so welcome, everyone. Uh, glad to have you here. And uh, let's, let's get it on. Very nicely done. Uh, so this is, <laughs> we're talking about uh, Max Holloway versus Calvin Cater. It's going on January 16th. Uh, Weird noon start time, so keep out for that because it's a, it's a brilliant fight, and uh, we've brought two outside analysts to talk about it because it's such a good fight. Um, Dan, uh, you're Hawaiian, so let's start with you on Max Holloway, and we'll go around and talk about the rest. Yeah, uh, you know, speaking of the Asian panelists, you know, uh, Shuram's already there, uh, you know, putting some Tiger Woods controversy in here. Which one, which one is Dan Tom going to go with? Uh, but yeah, don't worry. We'll, we'll, we'll steer clear of that. That was a beautiful intro there by Iggy. Um, and yeah, I, I guess it took this me like five attempts to get it right. <laughs> that was clean, man. That was clean. Don't let, don't let, don't let, uh, don't let it fool you people. Don't let his, uh, his humbleness his rare humbleness fool you. But, uh, yeah, I'll step in short and be the staple Hawaiian here, um, and talk a bit about Max's game. Um, he feels like a guy I've been breaking down the most technically, according to my published work, um, at mixedmartialanalyst.com. Don't go back and read far. It gets even sadder if you thought my work was sad already. Uh, but yes, Max is one of the guys like who I, I go back and have, have done a lot of, of watching and rewatching on. And you can get into the habit of, you know, falling into the same talking points about him. And uh, I was kind of pleasantly surprised, even though it was such weird circumstances that we had, uh, I believe all had a hard time being confident, at least in predicting you know, with the last two Vol uh, Volkanovsky fights, as far as what we we're going to see from Max Holloway, um, I would argue he showed some flashes to perhaps things he maybe did really early on in his career. Or we haven't seen him do as much, uh, but he does offer a lot of variety. I think it's really easy to think of both guys as, you know, uh, hands first fighters. Um, I don't want to say boxing centric fighters and paint with that broad of a brush, but to the point I'm trying to make, I could totally see people doing that and forgetting that both these gentlemen can kick, particularly the fighter we're talking about right now, which is Holloway. Um, he has, you know, uh, deceptive front kicks, uh, deceptively goes to the legs. Again, these are things that we could say on both sides of the equation. But what I liked uh, about Max on, the last, on his last fight, it's something I referenced before, um, with his Lamas fight, but you really saw less and less of it. And the leg kick numbers seemed to kind of add up and add up. And it became harder to argue with, you know, the statisticians of the world uh, when it came to Holloway for his leg kicks. But I would argue that aside from the building nature and pulling and working off of those things, you know, he, he Holloway needs building materials, at the job site, right? So 
some of those fights where if you look at it statistically, it can be dangerous because it looks like he's getting hit more. But those are also the fights where not only does he win, but he's having some of his better performances in. So when I often refer to Max as a building fighter or building off it, that's what I refer to. Now, what we saw in the Lamas fight um, that we kind of saw reappear in the second Volk fight was we needed to see Max have answers for those leg kicks, right? And he kind of did his like kind of tie marching variation. I'll use the word variation so I don't get like, you know, thrown over the coals by people who know real, real time tie marching is like the Ryan Wagner's of the world, right? But yes, Max did his certainly his own variation of that, right? Um, and I really like to see that, uh, you know, those dynamics being pulled out. Now, as far as the boxing goes, one thing that Max was doing a lot more, maybe it was because Volkanovski was shorter, was he was doing a very classic counter off the slip where you slip, uppercut, hook, return, right? Um, it actually works in open stance matchups as well. Um, that's very interesting because I feel like kind of is similar to, and I, now I won't get too much into cater, but let's just say I feel like the uppercuts in general, um, even though it's a shot that'll be coming at him, I do feel like it's a shot that will be there for Holloway. Um, as well but yeah it, essentially it all comes down to his building nature and how he builds off of those things and as we've seen fighters who can counter seem to do the best because again if we're using my job site analogy Max Holloway needs a lot of building materials so the guys who have beat him haven't necessarily given him a lot of building materials in the form of counters speaking very broadly here um, so th that's kind of the setup when I, I look at uh, I look at this fight from both sides uh, and how Max is, you know, certain things he's been doing to the spirit of who he is, um, how it unfolds. Hopefully I didn't rant too long. No, that was perfect. Um, Mr. Southpaw, uh, what's your take on Max Holloway? So there's a lot of things that Dan said that I agree with. So as far as his analysis or comparison, I should say, of how he needs building materials, I would say he needs reads. The more reads you can give Max Holloway, the better he can plan around it. So the less you give him, the less he can formulate a response. And he has shown a lot of variety early on, but it seemed the further along he went, at least in the Volkanovski fight, he seemed stuck in his ways of, oh, I'm going to use the jab. Oh, I can't do it. Hmm, let me figure out a different workaround. And it wasn't until the later ends around three, four, and five that he started to, first of all, switch to southpaw. And he decided, I have to change things. I have to start targeting the body. So it was things like that that made me worried heading into the rematch against Volkanovski. Not to mention that I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the pandemic and he couldn't train the way he normally does. And he told people in interviews that he was just doing everything over Zoom. And it was worrisome because outside of the Gracies who claim you can earn your belts online, who knows if it's possible to conduct a successful fight camp via Zoom and be a world champion. He got close to it, but people forget he was also a former champion. He's done dozens of high-level camps, so a lot of it is muscle memory. And the thing I liked the most from the Volkanovski fight upon re-watching it was how close he got to winning the title back. Now, ultimately, the judges called it for Volkanovski, so that's neither here nor there. But he made a lot of micro-adjustments. So as Dan mentioned with how is Max going to deal with the kicks. I like that as a broad thing. He dealt with it in one of three ways. One, as soon as he felt the kick, he would either kick back or two, as soon as he saw a kick coming, he withdrew his lead leg or three, if he thought 
Volkanovski was going to come close to approach, he would punch down the center in order to stop Volkanovski from coming any closer. Now, sometimes the punch down the center would be, I guess, swapped out for a hook. But either way, it kept Volkanovski from advancing more than he had to. Because in the first time around, Volkanovski had no problem entering Max's territory with feints. And Max would either retreat and he was playing Volkanovski game. The second time around, Max more or less stood his ground and said, okay, well, now you're here. What are you going to do? And Volkanovski might not have been as ready for that. And going into the cater fight, it's been a while since Max has been on a two-fight losing streak, if he has ever been. So what adjustments he'll make from two losses in a row is going to be interesting. Uh, that's a great overview of how the last couple fights went for Max. Uh, Iggy, uh, what are your thoughts on Max before I um, go into Max and then also into Cater? Yeah, well, with Max, it's uh, he's one of the more inscrutable fighters we have uh, on the roster. You can, like, he pretty much bullshitted his whole way through in the preparation to the Volkanovski fight uh, because, like, the way he's, he looked, it's kind of... You couldn't tell that he didn't have a normal fight camp. And, in fact... He does strike me as a sort of person that uh, would actually sit down and play as himself in UFC 3 and just get his basically his entire game plan from there. <laughs> because that's just that's how deep uh, the Max's game is and how uh, uh, offensively diverse he is. So uh, he's certainly the type of fighter to sort of look at his opponent and see, oh, I have these and the such and such openings. I'm going to exploit them and uh, milk them for all they're worth. So uh, for Keita, uh, like you you kind of uh, and it's really hard to kind of pin, sort of pin down where he is right now and where his mental like where his head is at at uh, at, at any given moment uh, so with uh, so with this fight uh you sort of have to wonder whether he will employ his usual volume game or kind of dial it down a little and maybe uh employ some of the lessons he learned from the Volkanovski fight and uh, that's a really like that's a really interesting uh, interesting question to ponder, I suppose. But uh, outside of that, I don't really have anything to add on Max. I mean, he's a known quantity uh, in some respects. So take it away. Yeah, I mean, inscrutable is a great word to use on a podcast with several Asians because that is the stereotype. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, we've. Um, We've kind of assumed that Max is an unquantity, and I think that's kind of, well, first of all, we should probably explain what Max does as, you know, just normally, because he's such a well-known fighter that I think we assume that people understand his game a bit more than they do. Uh, so in general, what Max wants to do as a fighter is draw out, as Dan mentioned, draw out uh, responses with his jab and uh, cut angles on the feet, which uh, he's incredibly good at. That's a lot of his defensive aptitude as well as his offensive ability to cut those angles and his ability to uh, draw his opponent's offense out with the jab. It's a, it's a very good jab in terms of how he changes up uh, the rhythm of it, in terms of how he's able, for example, against Ortega, uh, when Ortega was turning to a shoulder roll, it wasn't a very good shoulder roll, but what he did would have worked with a good shoulder roll as well, is uh, he was able to draw out the shoulder roll and either sneak the right hand in on like a half beat in order to get it in before the shoulder roll, or double jab uh, to uh, draw the shoulder roll out and hit him as he popped up, which is this classic Max. Uh, but I think... Max's reliance on the jab is also kind of overstated uh, in terms of how he used to be uh, because, I mean, we saw it in Volk too, where instead of the jab, he kind of used his kicks as kind of like what he used the jab as in terms of he'd faint forward behind the kicks, 
uh, faint into the pocket to get those pocket entries with uh, the sort of marching thing that he did or even just fainting around kick uh, to get in. But also against, for example, fighters like Anthony Pettis, that wasn't a particularly jabby fight for Max Holloway. Uh, he'd shift forward uh, into outside angles and uh, hit the body with the straight. It was a very, Max Holloway is, he's a fighter who's very hard to pigeonhole. But I do think that if you look at some of the performances that he's had uh, recently, namely Edgar and Volkanovski won, uh, you do kind of see the kind of, um, I want to say maturity, but it's not necessarily it's, a good yeah, thing. Uh, the kind of it's sort of like him trying to rein in his usual instincts and, on the feet and uh, trying to be more, quote unquote, defensively responsible. But the problem with that is that Max's offense is usually his defense because he, whenever he pulls on volume, he sort of can't even find any moment to, you kind of, you can't get a bead on him while he's uh, unloading on you and uh, reining that volume in uh, instead uh, gives uh, more opportunities for his opponent to find the openings that they need because he, Max, doesn't, Max doesn't really have any sort of like defensive system in place. Like he doesn't really react to anything with uh, any sort of predetermined like uh, guards or maybe or counters. It's sort of like go, he adapts basically on the fly to most strikes. And when he, when you don't give them that opportunity and when you confuse him and don't give him much to work with in terms of reads, his response is usually to just either tank the shot or just run backwards in a straight line, like we saw with uh, Dustin Poirier fight. But uh, the thing about Dustin Poirier is that uh, he's also a massive hitter. So that may also have been the reason, but uh, that's generally the, the, the general deficiencies that Max has, uh, that Max has in his game. Yeah, I think uh, in terms of uh, the Edgar fight specifically, I think that was a fight where a lot of people expected Max to kind of just walk through him. Uh, Edgar had been looking relatively fragile and not particularly uh, adept as a wrestler uh, in the Cub Swanson fight, where he mostly just uses a transitional tool instead of just, you know, dragging him down and ruining his life like he did in the first Cub Swanson fight. But um, that was a, a fight where Edgar was able to limit Max's volume a bit more than I think we anticipated. And a lot of that was just Max himself. But another part was that Max, as uh, Iggy mentioned, isn't particularly great defensively in range. He's absolutely brilliant in terms of uh, distance, uh, distance management and distance control. The issue is kind of in terms of the mechanics of that, where that first step backwards is pretty messy from him. He often squares up or brings his feet together. And that's why the shifting uh, offense of Dustin Poirier and Alexander Volkanovsky works so well. But also it's that when he's jabbing, he's not, um, he doesn't have like, the proactive defense that even someone like a Calvin Cater does where if he jabs, uh, Edgar was able to uh, go over the top with cross counters several times in the fight, um, and it kind of muted Holloway's ability to um, to build off that jab. So as Dan mentioned, uh, he needs a lot of um, initial information and needs to be allowed to get that initial information. But I do think it's more true now than it used to be. And I don't know whether Volkanovski too was something that Max is going to keep up moving forward, where he's going to be like, okay, this guy's likely to take away my jab. What do I do? Or whether it's just, I was in a rematch. Uh, what do I do to solve this opponent that I have five more rounds? Like he got to solving Volkanovski in the first fight. Never did, but he got closer than I think a lot of people think. But I don't know whether it's a rematch thing or just a Max thing. And if it's just a, a rematch thing, then I think uh, Max of the Edgar fight against Calvin Cater, it's a pretty concerning fight for him. Uh, so to move on to Calvin Cater, uh, he's a lot more rigid in what he does. He doesn't have those kinds of showings like Max did against Pettis or Volk 2, where you can just see him fighting wildly against type. Um, he's at his base. He's a jabber, and he really, really, really does need that jab. Uh, 
the, the good part is he's a very good jabber. He's one of the best in the sport. Um, same sort of rhythm tricks that someone like Max Holloway does. Uh, it's a more powerful jab. Uh, he can step in and jolt guys with it. Uh, he can also use it as a throwaway for the right hand. He can play it off the left hook, which is something that he does sparingly, but probably a little bit more than Max does. Um, and he mostly just draws his opponent's reactions out and tries to hit them with the right hand. It's a conceptually simple game, but it works out because he's very good positionally in exchanges and he's, um, he's pretty solid defensively. I think having a high guard kind of gets you a bad name defensively, which is generally sound because guys like Charles Oliveira had a high guard and it didn't really work out for them. And, you know, in general, the defensive stereotype is just this, but um, he does a good job uh, getting behind a shoulder on a jab. He gets his head offline in terms of his combinations fairly often. Uh, his high guard is very reactive and that you can't just, uh, we saw it in the Fishgold fight where Fishgold kind of just uh, went off in his direction and um, he didn't really land a ton of shots. Uh, Kato was able to adjust his high guard consistently. The issue is that it's a lot easier to get Calvin off his game than it is to get Max off his game, uh, which is in terms of long outside fighters who kick him. Uh, he doesn't like tracking those fighters down just in terms of footwork and he doesn't like getting kicked even if he's a little bit better at handling it than people think. Um, so it's essentially one guy who's very, very, uh, diverse in terms of how he can fight, but might not do that and might fall into the exact limited space where the other guy is very, very good. Uh, Dan, what's your take on Calvin Cater? Uh, you're muted. Dogs were barking earlier. I like the points you made, uh, Sharam, as far as like I, how the high guard goes and how like that can be very criticized or easily written off because it's very just, you know, easy too if you judge it for face value. But uh, Cater is one of those guys who uses it very well. Um, I like how you mentioned the position and exchanges. I think that even translates to his takedown defense, which I don't know if it's underrated anymore. I think I think people are at least confident in that part you still have every right to be skeptical as far as prolonged ground exchanges, mat wrestling exchanges against high, you know, submission threats. I know Oliveira, who you just mentioned is no longer in the division, but like against a guy like that, so to speak. Uh, but as far as the wrestling goes, it's very solid and how it kind of parlays into the stance while we're on it for Cater, which is, you know, obviously a huge part of his game. Reminds me of Masvidal, to be honest, as far as that goes, you know, being able to be upright, up high, uh, hold his hands up high when he wants to. He does it obviously more than Masvidal um, does or a little more pronounced, a little more consistent. Uh, and I like the point about, you know, getting off of his game. Uh, he, he's able to get off the, uh, of the game. And now I don't think it's because it's a cardio thing. I don't think that he's got a suspect tank like uh, uh, perhaps as a beat has, for example, even though Zabit beat him in the three rounder. Right. Um, I don't think it's a mental thing. I think this guy's very mentally strong. So I don't feel like it's a criticism when I I or you say that. Uh, but I do believe that, that it is true. I believe that he can get thrown off of his game. We've seen it in fights that he's won emphatically fights that have gone the distance, which I believe, I think he's like two and two. And in, in as far as his UFC career goes, um, as far as decisions go. And that was something where it's like, yeah, how, how is, I don't want to jump to, you know, the prediction, but that definitely is something that plays in there. Um, he definitely obviously needs his jab. That's, that's a very, you know, key thing. However, again, like I said, with the kicking notes, caters, you know, he'll, he'll attack some legs himself. He'll throw, you know, the front kicks up there, but his defensive choices, uh, which was broken down earlier uh, by one of you gentlemen, forgive me, uh, but, but, you know, caters vary the same. He'll, he'll, he'll step out of the way. 
um, and he'll be better about range mindfulness, especially after that Hanato Moikano fight. Uh, or um, he doesn't really do the the, the the marching variation like Max does. But, uh, you know, as far as those like basic things, you could argue, yes, he has improved uh, those things. But I would I would agree. I don't think he likes guys that kick at him. I don't know if size parity is really a huge thing for either guy. That's something you want to look at when you have two such big and long featherweights. Um, I like that, you know, uh, Cater goes to the body. He throws excellent uppercuts. But again, the reason why I through the uppercut nod for the max breakdown is because again, coming back to that shell uh, that Cater uses, he himself is open to it. And um, we saw a similar, that was kind of a similar thing with, with him and Ige, uh, which I admittedly I, I've not, that's the one fight I've yet to rewatch uh, before this to refresh myself. But um, I do remember that the uppercut was a lane that was going to be open for both guys. And uh, I do wonder about the nose again, Cater's not mentally a weak. He's got a good tank. He's shown that his nose can get clipped and he can work through it, but, now that he's got a body of work, it feels like nine out of 10 fights that nose is getting clipped. And even if Max isn't as reliant on the jab, I do wonder um, what Cater is going to have uh, for an answer for that. I think the X factor for the Cater side, uh, as opposed to the Max side, the Max side, I feel like it's more of a negative X factor as far as strategically. I think there's more of a positive side on the X factor. I know I just gave Tyson Chardier coach of the year, but that New England cartel team usually, uh, especially as of late, has been coming in really prepared. There's a lot of tape out there to watch on Max. So I feel like the big X factor with Calvin here um, is that corner and the strategy. Oh, yeah, that was great. Uh, Paul, what's your take on Calvin Cater? So Calvin Cater, it's interesting that both you, Sriram, and Dan have mentioned his kicks as well as his wrestling. People may not be aware, but he was a fairly accomplished high school wrestler. I think he went as far as eighth in the state of Massachusetts while he was in high school. So it's definitely there, but he doesn't utilize it as often as people think. If you go back to his earlier fights, it wasn't uncommon to see him catch kicks and go for a single or go for a leg and then start throwing hooks to the body and head in order to throw opponents off their game. And Cater does one of the few things well where it's very reminiscent of Diaz brothers. He'll throw punches instead of the snappy like one and then two, it'll be like one, two right away one after the other so even if he misses with the jab that's fine he's trying to hit you with the second punch anyways and it's not always a straight sometimes it's a variation like an uppercut and the thing that i like a lot about cater is that as Ram mentioned his jabs are one of the best and it's because he has varieties to it sometimes he'll throw it with his fist turned over sometimes it'll just come straight vertically sometimes he'll throw his whole body to it like a prime, like Larry Holmes, or even like a Sergey Kovalev, where you like pump his shoulders out. So there's just a little bit more power. Uh, Volkanovski does that as well. And other times it's just straight arm jabs where it's primary purpose is just to get in your face and block your vision. So with all that kind of variation, it's easy to see how opponents can still get hit with it, even though it's just the same punch or a variety, a variation of the same punch. He's just able to find more uses for it but he does sometimes want to the convention of going straight forward or straight backwards. And if you can get him to keep turning and pivoting, he does tend to struggle or follow his opponents or let them escape straight out. In the Dan Ige fight, when I rewatched it, I noticed Ige had a lot of success whenever he moved back and forced Cater to chase him. And then he would explode forward and catch him with punches. And Shane Burgos, even though he ultimately lost, gave Cater the same trouble for his jabs. Every time he jabbed, 
he would throw multiple hooks and it gave Cater pause. Like, oh, okay, I got to regroup. I got to figure out what to do. And instead of throwing with power, Cater started just throwing it as soon as Burgos came forward, like jab, 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 jab. And when Burgos tried to slip or go to the side, he hit him with hooks and uppercuts. And it'll be interesting to see if, and this might go more into the potential game plan, if Cater can rely more on his wrestling, not to be the next coming of Habib, but just to show people that if things get tough, I have no problem clinching up and buying some time in order to regroup, throw you off, and hit you with jabs again. Because so far, he hasn't done as good of a job when he's gotten to the UFC. But it's one of those like Rocky Four types, like you have to go back to the basics, you have to go back to what worked. And he does have a wrestling background to speak of. It's not completely foreign to him. So it'll be interesting to see if he employs any of that in the Holloway fight. Yeah, uh, Iggy, what are your thoughts on Cater? I know you have a lot. Oh, yeah, I am uh, one of the decided Cater not enjoyers on the TFS team. Uh, Calvin, then 100% canceled. <laughs> yeah, Calvin, aka Calvin Cater, also known as Calvin Denny Martin, hates my guts, Cater. <laughs> uh, the now retired Denny Martin, and uh, I, we shared some of the criticisms. Uh, we, I share some of the criticisms Denny Martin had towards Cater in that uh, he's sort of like looked, he is an extremely slow starter because he always needs for upwards of uh, two and a half rounds to really get going, like one and a half rounds. Uh, to he sometimes he even looks lost for more than a round. And when a fighter of his caliber looks like he doesn't know what to do for more than three minutes, I start getting angry. It's just I, I just can't help it. Like Kater is is a supremely technically gifted fighter with beautiful mechanics, but uh, uh, he's and he's got me- mechanically sound footwork, good defensive instincts. His punching form is gorgeous, and is crafty enough on his own once his brain finishes booting up, but all these things essentially exist in a vacuum for a good portion of most fights he's in because he never seems to know in which direction he wants the fight to go. Like currently he thinks that he's more of a pressure fighter, but the problem with his pressure fighting is that his ring craft is not that good. Like he has a habit of following people around whenever he tries to pressure. And it's a problem he's had with Zabit and other, uh, and other fighters, including Dan Ige. Um, uh, who were just able to get away from him over and over again because he never tried to cut the ring, cut the octagon off because he just followed them around. So he sometimes even looks like DC in that respect, which is just never a good comparison. <laughs> uh, but uh, the good thing about Keita is that uh, he's mechanically sound enough on his own that uh, it usually gets him from most problems. Uh, like through just he basically just brute forces his way through any troubles that he faces in the octagon because he's incredibly mechanically sound. The thing with his punches is uh, many people uh, mistake combos for incredibly fast consecutive punches and Keita doesn't do that. His punches always come in a series. One punch always sets up up the next one. It's just sort of like mechanically how he works. It's just ingrained in his muscle memory basically. And uh, this, is what, this is what gives him the edge over most fighters in MMA, because in MMA, uh, having wonky mechanics is kind of more, more, more of the norm than in other sports, because you really have to learn so much in order to become well-rounded to uh, find your style. And Kater is dangerous uh, for Max in particular for a variety of reasons. Uh, uh, most of it has to do with Kater's pot- potency in the pocket and his power edge. Uh, the problem is uh, his ring craft in his in in this particular matchup. Like uh, uh, 
both of them really like to operate in the pocket and both of them really need to touch their opponent with something in order to get the bead on them and uh, to generate reads. And both of them sort of need a bit of a slower start. So it's uh, it can end up being, a. I guess I'm already veering into the matchup territory. So I guess let's go from there. Uh, uh, to start with, I don't really like this matchup for Max because uh, this may seem weird because many people seem to write off Kato on the on the basis that Max is on another quote-unquote level, uh, simply because he's a more diverse and deeper striker, allegedly. And, uh, well, he is a, a bit deeper and more diverse, but that's not the case. That's not the problem with this matchup. Like, uh, it, it can sort of mirror the Israel Adesanya versus Paulo Costa situation, where Costa, uh, even though he did end up getting blown out the water, he also fought completely against type and didn't do any of the things that were expected to give Adesanya at least some pause. And Keita... I, I, I trust Cater to not do that. I trust Cater to come in and actually be Cater instead of just standing around and getting pieced up. And uh, uh, the thing is that they both really like to, both Max and Cater really like to operate in the pocket. And uh, that's where Cater, with his power edge and maybe even his mechanics edge, can uh, connect, uh, can basically like shock Max in the pocket and force him backwards and that's uh, that can nullify the problems that Kata has with pressuring because Max will whenever he's uh, like we saw in the Dustin Poirier fight like when he got shocked by real power in the pocket and he found that he's outgunned in the pocket he, he was forced backwards in a straight line and that may nullify the problems that Kata has with, the, with his ring craft with regards to cage cutting and uh, uh like it may seem like Max uh, will win on purely on the basis of being a more diverse striker, and uh, I granted I do give uh, a Max that kicks more like more of a chance to beat Cater comprehensively rather than a boxy Max because that's where Cater's uh, strengths lie. Uh, the problem, the question here is the pocket and Ringcraft. Like who will turn out to be better in this respect? It's sort of like a tech, more of a technical matchup than a strategic one. Because both of them are really tacticians rather than strategists. They don't really come up with a set game plan that I'm going to, like, they don't think, they don't look at their opponent and go, oh, he has these sorts of tendencies and I'm going to exploit those for the duration of the fight. They're more like, oh, I can see this opening right in this instance, in this moment, and I'm going to uh, milk that for all it's worth. And uh, that's uh, that's where Max can have a bit of an edge, but... Uh, then again, Kata's power is the thing that may uh, basically take that advantage away from Max, simply because he can clatter him. It's, I mean, I mean, it, it may sound like I'm basically giving Kata's a puncher's chance, but in this particular case, I think it's uh, more appropriate than in, any, than in any other matchup for Max in this division. That's my initial read. Uh, yeah, I mean, I agree with most of that. I think Cater being a slow starter is kind of weird because Shane Burgos kind of gave him the sort of neutral jabby fight that he wanted from the outset. And Cater got going pretty quickly in that fight. He was able to start hitting him with the jab very early and won round one pretty wide. So I think, and I mean, even if you look at Jeremy Stevens, it took him like, took him like three and a half minutes to start tuning him up. So I'm not sure whether he's a slow starter just generally or if he just struggles to figure out bad matchups. Either one's kind of concerning, but like if Max comes in looking like a bad matchup, I think it's uh, it won't necessarily matter how long it takes Cater to figure out bad matchups. Um, 
Yeah, maybe Keita. Yeah, it's uh, probably the case of Keita needing uh, the opponent to give him something to work with from the get-go in order to, for him to get his game going. Yeah, I mean, if you look at like um, the Jeremy Stevens fight, Jeremy Stevens didn't necessarily get Keita his range, but he did give him a lot of inputs in terms of you know the constant forward marching, the kicking game, the body punching, and Keita figured him out very quickly because Stevens was always in range to be hit, and that's what Keita needs. Uh, in terms of, so I have a lot of thoughts on this fight just because A, Cater is probably my favorite active fighter at this point, and B, this is kind of a fight that I've been thinking about since like early 2018 because it kind of makes no sense that this fight is actually happening since Cater uh, was like 11 years into his career after Burgos and we're like, hey, he should fight Max Holloway, and it made no sense at that point, but then it actually happens somehow, so that's very, very cool. It's like the definition of a dream fight, but um, yeah, I mean, I think there are a couple fronts in which this fight can be won. Uh, for both guys, I think the jabbing match is pretty interesting because we've seen Holloway struggle with the jab left hook change up about Tender Volkanovsky. Um, Brian Ortega managed to jab in on Max before, but also I trust Max to just, you know, if like going southpaw just completely flummoxes Calvin Cater, that's something that I expect Max Holloway to do because Max Holloway is just that kind of fighter. Uh, Calvin Cater isn't as likely to just take Max's jab away completely with a broad strategic stroke like that, but he is likely to come over the top with the cross counter or um, jab with him like he did to Andre Feely, where he was able to dipping jab underneath. Uh, Cater has a bunch of tactical answers to the jab that he might not be able to use, Where, um, but it's possible that he lands them uh, occasionally, like Frankie Edgar did, for instance. Frankie Edgar is able to count the jab of uh, Max Holloway relatively consistently, and that's what limited Max's volume. Um, in terms of the pocket, I think there's a pretty big gulf between the two in terms of counterpunching. Max Holloway isn't a particularly good counterpuncher in terms of, you know, when someone comes at him, he doesn't plant and counter, he backs away. And uh, that works because Kyle and Cater probably isn't the kind to catch him backing away. He's not terrifically great at covering distance. But when it comes to Max starting the exchange, I think it's per it's more likely that Max gets punished for jabbing than that Calvin Cater gets punished for jabbing. Um because Calvin Cater is, uh, he has that right-hand counter that he had on Shane Burgos. Uh, he's not a particularly great check hooker. He tried it on Dan uh, Ige a couple times. It didn't work great, but he was able to use it to set up further offense. And in general, I think the pocket is, it's a landmine for Max Holloway, um, especially if he tries to handle it the way he did against Brian Ortega, where he was able to just punch, 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 punch. Uh, because that worked against Brian Ortega because he's kind of a not great defensive fighter and not much of a counter puncher either where um, Calvin Cater is, honestly, he's better as a counterpuncher than he is as someone trying to lead against someone who doesn't want to be led against. So uh, I think that's one place where Max Holloway can struggle. I think the fact that Max Holloway is the more versatile, intelligent fighter matters um, because it kind of makes him, it makes me understand why he's such a big favorite among most people who understand the matchup because there's a very clear route here for Max Holloway in terms of, don't be in the pocket, make Calvin Cater chase you, um, kick him a lot when he is uh, out of range. And that's something that Cater, he's not awful at dealing with kicks. Uh, he's, he checked Ricardo Lamas' kick and made him stop kicking. He checked a couple of Stevens and even out kicked him, but he does not like getting kicked from outside of his range. It's just not something that he's very comfortable uh, dealing with in terms of the larger uh, progression of the fight. So I think Max Holloway has a root there, but I think my worry with this is kind of twofold, is that Max Holloway hasn't fought a kind of fight where he's just not been in the pocket. Even against Alexander Volkanovsky, it was, I'm going to kick, but that's to set up my entries into the pocket. And 
against guys like Brian Ortega. It was a very pocket-oriented fight. And I think this is going to have to be a very subdued fight that we're not used to seeing from Max in terms of just discipline and staying out of the pocket if he's going to completely shut. It's not that he can't win against Calvin Cater in the pocket. He said if he's going to shut Calvin Cater out of the fight, he's probably going to have to shut himself out of the pocket. And that's not necessarily something that I trust Max Holloway to do. The other part of this is that there is a fight where he did do that, and that was Frankie Edgar. But as defensive of, of a fight that wasn't tone, it wasn't a particularly defensively impressive fight from Max Holloway in terms of, you know, when he was in the pocket, how did he do? So I think there are spots of worry here for Max Holloway. And I think Calvin Cater, just being Calvin Cater, could be a big weakness, but it could also be one of his biggest strengths. Uh, Dan, what are your thoughts on how they match up? Yeah, that was great. I, I love that you mentioned the Southpaw there because that was something that's really on my mind here. It makes complete sense. If you look at it, Cater has not faced a lot of Southpaws and the fighters who could switch, win or lose. Um, Cater, at least to me, clearly had his most trouble with it. Uh, and, and that was through both regimes, through the New England cartel regime or to the Delagrati regime, which I believe Paul referenced when you talk about, you know, him countering more off of kicks, because that was my big thing. And when looking at this matchup for building supplies, using that analogy um, is counterfighters, you know, uh, you could make that argument if you want to tie a thread to Max's losses, you know, minus the Bermudez fight, of course, um, that, you know, maybe there, there's counter uh, countering is a common thread there. So when I looked at that, the thing was, I didn't see the check hooks, kind of like Sharam said. I agree. There's not really not much there. He does have a pull right hand, but even when his corner reminds him to do it, it's not something that he's consistently able to set up. So I'm not sure how consistent or reliant to be on that. Um, but he was really good, especially early on in his career, like Paul noted, at countering kicks. So that's why, even though I think that Iggy makes a great point as far as the strategy goes and who they are as fighters, I don't disagree with that. But I still believe that could be an X factor more so with Calvin than with Max, because we've seen um, Max more, obviously, at a high level, more consistent, uh, consistently, whereas Cater just has a weird sample size. Right. I mean, you, you mentioned with the 11 years and then you're fa facing Shane Burgos in 2018. I mean, he's a really weird story when you follow his not to get down that rabbit hole. So I don't want to put too much weight into that. But yeah, it was the counters that kind of kept me away. That being said, I think there's a lot of truth in what Shuram just said as far as like how I could totally see Max paying for some jabs early. And that could really set a tone there that even if he doesn't come into this fight, agreeing that he has to fight at a more subdued range, he may be forced into that. Like that is not beyond a reality. And I think there's a lot of that two-way parallels from how they fight, how they defend from mechanically on paper to the themes of, you know, again, what Shuram said as far as what brought Cater to the dance could serve him well. And it could also um, bite, him in, bite him in the ass, so to speak. You know, I mentioned the uppercut notes, but I just feel like the Southpaw note is going to be the biggest one. I'm just so reserved on saying that because I feel like fighters, even ones that I really feel like I have a beat on, whether it's Max or Steven Thompson against Woodley, I'm like, oh yeah, he clearly had his best moments as Southpaw. Like I thought he should have done it in the first place against Woodley. He didn't do it enough. The times he did, he had his best reaction. Clearly, he's going to do it in the second fight. No, he just stares at him from Orthodox the whole damn time at UFC 209. Uh, so I, I always feel really <laughs> weird. Any Anytime I feel like I'm so confident, like, here, yeah, I know this. I'm a Kepo guy. I'm a Southpaw. F folks, shut up. This He's going to use 
anytime I have any kind of confidence in it, the fighter will not use it. So I, I don't want to jinx Max here and watch another orthodox Max come out because I feel like I've called for Max's southpaw stance a couple times before his fights and they never showed up. Um, I would like to think that they show up here to try to take away that jab from him. Uh, but it's more about picking up the pack and putting down the pack. Even though I'm giving Cater and his team uh, a potential X factor caveat granted, but a lot of credit um, strategically. Uh, and you could make the argument that this fight will come down to adjustments. If you look at Max's trending to be more safer to how his longer fights have been playing out lately, right? You could easily make that um, argument that this fight is going to come down to adjustments. However, that early note, of Calvin being able to be shook off of his game was something that I just kept coming around. And I feel like we've seen it in Max win or Max losing, Max questionable or Max good looking. Um, even Max with not making a lot of adjustments, he really doesn't slow down much. He's really hard to get off of his game. And even though maybe that might have worked against him in that Volk last fight, he might have had a little bit of a false sense of security, thought he was up ahead, maybe, you know, which, which were what were obviously. Um, close rounds um, that I have no issue. I'm not trying to relitigate that, by the way, but that could bite him in the butt here. However, you know, again, same thing can be said for Max. It could also help him. So I'm going to long-winded here. Sorry. I'm going to go with Max uh, for a decision here. I'm going to side with them, um, but I would be careful, which I feel like is going to be common. I don't blame people for coming to this conclusion, but I would be careful for picking or counting on Max to win just because he's the more diverse fighter. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was thinking about just going back around with the picks, but since Dan started it, uh, Paul, uh, what are your thoughts on the matchup and who are you ultimately going to go with? And then we'll come back to Iggy uh, for the pick. Sure. So I think even when you talk about how Max is a type of fighter that flourishes on the unknown, but the more you, sorry, he will start off in the unknown in the sense that, all right, what am I going to do today? How am I going to react to you? So the more reads you give him, the better. You can even see it in the way that he starts off the fight. His hands are almost here in this motion where it looks like a cross between giving you an air hug or conducting an orchestra. It's just kind of here. Whereas Cater's is very much like a pinwheel motion, almost like he's rubbing a crystal ball. So it even goes and betrays mechanics of, okay, Cater is trying to get you to, or trying to get to you as quick as possible, whether it's the jab or the straight. Whereas Max just might need more of a response from you first. Like, all right, what am I going to do? Oh, you left your leg open. I guess I'll go for a kick. Oh, you withdrew it. Okay, as soon as you withdraw, I'm going to blitz you down the middle. And as far as the stances go, I do like how he didn't show the southpaw switch in the first Volkanovski fight until the third round. When Volkanovski hammered the lead leg enough, he's like, okay, I'll make the switch. But this is the same Max who in the Cub Swanson fight decided to take away Cub Swanson's lead hand and went to Southpaw right away and said, all right, I'm going to smother your jab and then I'll come in and I'll just throw a left straight just to frustrate you and I'll pivot out. So I don't know which Max is going to show up if he thought, hey, you know what? All these things worked in the second Volkanovski fight. I thought I should have won it, but I think Cater is going to come at me like a boxer. I'll figure it out. I'll do what Moicano did. I'll tear up his lead leg, and when he withdraws, I'll hit him with the counter. Um, I'll hit up the right straight. If that max shows up, I am worried because Cater might have a less diverse striking set, but he is quicker and he hits hard. I don't know how many people have stopped Shane Burgos, but I think Cater might be one of the few that did it. Oh, yeah. Not to mention that 
it's really hard to stop Jeremy Stevens as well. But Cater did that, I believe, with elbows, if I'm not mistaken. So this is a guy who's bigger, has power. I think he has a three-inch reach on Max, even though they're the same height. And it's worrisome because if Max relies on Cater jabbing, it's like, I'll figure out a, a way to counter as I'm going. He might get hit first and not be able to come up with the way to formulate a game plan. That was a mistake, I think, that happened in the Poirier fight because he thought, well, how much stronger could he be? And he realized, oh, he's a lot stronger than I thought. So once he absorbed a couple of those strikes, it could have gone out the window. So I think as far as strategy goes, what I like or not like, but what we might see from Cater is what Darren Till did against Kelvin Gastelum, where he would throw a one-two and then clinch up with him right away to keep Gasolum from returning with fire. And then you do that often enough, and then it elicits a response that is favorable to you. So for example, if Cater would throw a one-two, clinch up, push Max against the fence, and then disengage, after a couple of times, Max might think, okay, he's going to clinch up again, and he might bring his hands up and leave himself open for a dipping jab. And for Max, it might come to where Cater has his leg open, and then he just starts to kick it over and over again, because I think he reminds me a lot of Carlos Condon in that sense, where if he sees an opening, he'll keep exploiting it until it hurts you and you change your ways. It was like, oh, you don't like that kick? Okay, let me do it 10 more times and see how you respond. So I'd lean a little bit to Cater because I think his speed and his size might be a little too much. And Max is hard to finish, but we might see Cater win enough in the early rounds. And then even if he kind of slows down as it goes, he has enough to win a decision. Uh, yeah, uh, Iggy, what are your thoughts on uh, just, I guess, the ultimate pick since we've already talked about the matchup, but if you have anything to add. Yeah, the thing that worries me about this fight is that it has the potential to be pretty damaging for Max, not that, it's going, that, not that he's going to be dominated or get finished, because uh, Keita likes to operate in the same area where Max likes to operate, which is uh, what I already pointed out many times, but uh, he has a big power edge once again, and that's basically it. That's basically his route to victory. He's, and uh, that's the thing with his uh, uh, reach as well. Like, there's a difference between reach and range. Like, they're the same height, but the uh, the Gator has way bigger and longer hands, which extends his range, and that's uh, uh, may prove to be another factor in uh, in the eventual fight, but. Uh, uh, I th I think I veer towards Max, most mostly because on the basis of his like div diversity of his arsenal, which is I really don't like doing that because I'm of the opinion that uh, really MMA fighters should veer, veer closer towards building deeper games instead of more diverse games. But that's just but I mean that's neither here nor there. But uh, uh, I suppose I'm veering towards either Max by decision or maybe even a late stoppage by Max. But uh, with the caveat that uh, Keita is going to look really good in, in certain exchanges because I'm going to give them, I have to give him that. But, but uh, I think Max is going to win, win on Ringcraft eventually because uh, Keita has certain tendencies where he uh, concedes space for no real reason, uh, for no real good reason. And uh, Max is really good at uh, forcing people backwards with the volume. It's just that while doing that, uh, while doing that, he may get clattered a bunch of times. 
that's that's where the real danger lies and i really don't like that because uh, like i mean look at max's schedule uh, <laughs> just it, it's it's absurd his schedule uh any other contender that's that's been forced down this road basically fell apart uh, without ever reaching the belt, and Max managed to do the, exactly that. And uh, I'm really just concerned about his long-term health and long-term career and how he's going to look uh, in the Volkanovski rematch, which I really want to see. And this fight just sort of may may have the potential to throw a wrench into that. Like he may, like it may, Max may end up getting damaged enough that he doesn't really look like Max anymore in the following fights. Then this is just sort of really like sobering, a sobering and some kind of sad thoughts that I've had. Uh, no, yeah, I guess, uh, I guess I'm picking Max just with a bit of a sadness hedge in there <laughs> for safety. I mean, all things considered like, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, if I may, I second a lot of that kind of sadness hedge in the pick. Cause I'm, I'm semi-reluctantly picking Max, um, and I could totally see a lot of that narrative. And not to throw uh, Sharam off your point, keep it chambered, sir, but just kind of collecting your guys' points, I just want to say one thing for Cater. You guys are mentioning a lot about the clinch, and even though it's something we don't see Cater do, we always got to be careful about expecting or suggesting a fighter will do something we've never seen them do. But, man, it makes so much sense for his game, especially as far as the reason why I'm picking against him is because he can be thrown off. So, in theory, if he could add a clinch, uh, I know Connor Rebush talks about this a lot as far as, you know, closing things on your terms, having that yeah, option on clutch. your terms. You know, collect, collect his thoughts. He doesn't really need it for the gas tank, like I said, but to collect his thoughts. And when Paul was breaking down the different types of the jabs in my notes here, I wrote checking jab. I think that whether he wants to try to blow Holloway out of the water with power or beat him more strategically, all of Volkan, his own version of a Volkanovsky. I feel like having that clinch option coming forward, crashing in the middle, and whether he's it's a southpaw, which it works great open stance, by the way, is a southpaw. It frustrates orthodox fighters, yet orthodox fighters don't do it to southpaws. Having a checking jab, which Cater already has, I hope he leans on it because I think that's going to do a lot of disruption and and, and cover a lot of his retreats. Hopefully, I didn't throw you off your th your, your thought there, uh, Sturam. Yeah, that's no problem. Uh, I think the, the word that I have with the clinch is that Max Holloway is uh, generally like a brilliant clincher. He's not the best anti-wrestler out there, but uh, he's very good at working with that frame on the inside against the fence. Uh, he's works off the whizzer and uh, the bicep tie pretty often in terms of hitting knees and punching on the brakes. Uh, that's something that we saw against Frankie Edgar a lot. And that's, it's doubly impressive to do that to Frankie Edgar because Edgar is a guy who pretty much lived on transitions his entire career and invented the art in MMA. So uh, I think, Clinching might not be the route, in my opinion. Just And honestly, I agree that uh, you can't generally see fighters do things that they don't do before. And I think that's doubly true with Calvin Cater because he's just been so, he's deep into his career for one. You're not going to see someone, uh, you're not going to see like, uh, he's not Shane Burgos, who was like super early in his career when he fought Calvin Cater. You could see him making further improvements. Calvin Cater is Calvin Cater. And the fact that he burned 10 years on the regionals, it is what made him who he is, but it also means that he's now going to become something that he's not. Uh, I think Calvin, he is, he's, He's a mid-range fencer. Uh, he's a mid-range fencer who likes to be in the pocket. I think that's just who he is. And I don't see, considering how much he struggled against, like kind of a lesser version of the same strategic issue uh, with both Zabit Magomedsharipov and Hanato Moikano, I don't see him making big changes. All that said, I, I think I kind of have more like, I'm worried for Max in this fight in the same ways that he is. Uh, but I also, I'm kind of more worried in a sense because I think. 
Max's game in, um, and I mentioned this before, right? Max's game in all of his fights, it tends to be that kind of swarmy game. He always wants to be in there. And we saw against Ortega when people were doubting him, uh, Max is kind of a head case in that kind of, in that way. That when people are doubting him, he tends to come yeah, out and Max, try to beat Max, him. Max certainly has a tendency to fight like he has to prove a certain point. Whenever, it's like, whenever a narrative emerges that Max has a uh, certain deficiency against a certain opponent, he's going to try and dispel that idea as hard as it can. Yeah, I mean, I think the the counterpoint again is that Edgar fight after Dustin Poirier, where Poirier might, it looked like Poirier just scared Max off the pocket permanently. But if you look at, for example, after the Aldo fights, he had that big medical layoff and then he came back against Ortega and he was like, why did you doubt me at all ever? He just completely tore him to shreds. And I think if he tries to do that against Calvin Tater, he's in big trouble because Calvin Tater is, uh, as Iggy mentioned, a, a fantastic combination puncher, uh, has a big power edge, is defensively, if anything, I'd say he's defensively a little bit better than Max Holloway, just on the inside. He might be worse at not getting hit in a sense because he's not as keen to uh, leap back. Uh, he's not as good in terms of distancing, even if he's very good. But in terms of just raw pocket defensive maneuvers, I think Calvin Kidder's uh, high guard, his head movement in terms of just integrated into his strikes, it might be a little bit better. I mean, Max Holloway's looked like a, a decent defensive liability in terms of the Poirier fight and um, even the Volkanovski fights. So I don't know if that's the approach I want Max to take. And I don't know if I can trust him not to take that approach when he's fighting someone, A, who he's never fought before, which might take away the sort of really smart uh, adaptations that he made for Volkanovski in the rematch. And secondly, if he doesn't do that, if it looks more like the Edgar fight, I think that a, a neutral mid-range jabby fight might not be what Max wants. Both guys are very, very good jabbers. Uh, and... I think it just eventually leads to the kind of pocket fight that he doesn't want. Like in a perfect world, I think Max Holloway and his, um, his fantastic coaches who have thought through all of his fights, um, they just, they faint at Cater, they make him chase, they use their superior ring craft, make Cater go on the front foot. But the Max that we've seen in like the Aldo fights or the Volkanovski one or Edgar, it almost seems more like a fight that's fought at the range of Burgos. And I don't like that for anyone who's fighting Calvin Cater. Like, I think this might just be more of a form thing where I'm like, Max isn't at the point in his career where he's going to think through fights the same way he used to, but going to adapt the same way he used to, where he's going to take the same kinds of, oh, you're weak at this. I'm going to exploit this as hard as I can from the get-go. I think I'm going to go with Calvin Cater, partly on contrarianism and partly on that worry. Um, just there's not much margin here for Max Holloway. And I think Calvin Cater is competitive in enough ranges that he probably finds that. So, uh, great panel from everybody. Any parting thoughts? Uh, oh, sorry. Uh, well, uh, oh, go go ahead. I'm going to have my parting thoughts at the end. <laughs> <laughs> Just have to collect a little. Okay, collect myself a little. Okay. All right. Iggy, you mentioned about how you don't want Max to take any more damage than he already has, and it's a scary comparison, and I don't make it lightly, but the way that Max had to fight all the contenders before he had to get to where he is, is reminiscent of Tony Ferguson. And unfortunately, I'm seeing a lot of similarities in how they might end up. And I hope I'm wrong because I'm a big fan of Max, but it wasn't until Tony Ferguson fought another heavy puncher in Justin Gaethje that things started to kind of go off the rails. And I'm not saying Calvin Cater and Justin Gaethje are similar in style or even in wrestling credentials by any means. But 
if Max meets somebody who can hurt him with punches and is patient enough to let him get worse for the wear and not just knock him out quickly, I don't like what it means for future implications and matchups. And again, I hope I'm wrong, but I can't help but think of how Tony Ferguson's career is unfolding, especially with the recent loss to Oliveira, that I hope Max doesn't fall to the same um, trappings. Yeah, that's essentially exactly the thoughts that I uh, wanted to express in that. Uh, like, if you look at, zoom out a little and look at this fight in terms of uh, the MMA meta and how fighters developed and progress in the UFC, Max is a very, like both Kater and Max are very, and Ferguson as well, are quintessential MMA fighters in, in the sense that they've been, they've been encouraged to develop a very, very, offense-heavy games at the expense of everything or everything else, at the expense of game planning, strategizing, and uh, even defensive acumen in many respects. And uh, this is uh, this is like these are the deficiencies that's been encouraged by the MMA meta in Tony Ferguson. That's what essentially ruined him at the end. And I really, really, really wish that uh, the MMA moved away from that. Like there's no real system like in place. There's no one is encouraged to really uh, take uh, like uh, the sheer intensity of the UFC schedule doesn't allow people to really take a breather in any of the, any of their fights. And so they develop these games that rely on offense instead of defense. Like uh, I'm going to just drown the guy out. I'm going to be the best me uh, out there instead of, uh, oh, I'm going to adapt to my opponent and like, uh, come up with a strategic uh, a strategic approach to my fights. I'm just going to fall, brute force my way through. And maybe p- people end up falling apart uh, without ever reaching the heights that they might have reached uh, despite their attributes and gifts. Uh, Max is an exception because he managed to do that and now he's basically paying the price for that. And, I be- and I, I'm afraid he's going to have to end up paying this price uh, going forward. So I, I don't think it's going to improve in any way because uh, like at the end of the day max is uh, an irrevocably uh, basically he's an aging fighter right now everything he's shown lately points towards uh, like a, some sort of either athletic or maybe like uh, some sort of athletic uh, decline in, in both his approach to fighting and like basically in, in terms of how in terms of how he looked in the fight uh, this is what worries me a lot because I mean, like recently, there's been uh, basically ye- yesterday uh, uh, an article was released on uh, uh, MMAfighting.com regarding uh, uh, Spencer the Kingfisher and his current health situation, and it's really like I've made the mistake of reading that article before going to sleep, <laughs> and now I've woken up with this sort of like really grim mood and. Uh, sense of foreboding regarding Max as well, because this was a very sobering and downright, I mean, fucking harrowing read. And really, like, the guy basically may end up drooling into a cup down, like, in the next five years. And, uh, like, sports are one of the only real career paths with any semblance of social mobility in, in this world. And the UFC takes even that away from the athletes. I mean, Max Holloway keeps getting paid peanuts for the entertainment that he brings to the table and it's just 
Uh, it's really sad. The only thing I can say about this is that I I may find this fight entertaining, and it it's bound to end up entertaining. And but I can't help but think, but really, is the price really worth it? I mean, it's an excellent fight, but uh, do you really want Max to get any more miles on his uh, get any more mileage from this fight? Just, I guess, I mean, I mean, I'm sorry if I'm being a bit of a downer here, but I, I, I think it's a really valid thought that you have to keep in mind at all times with, with regards to these fighters. Uh, well, I'm glad I dressed in black for this uh, in memoriam here. Um, as <laughs> No, no, no. All joking aside, I didn't mean to cut you off, Biggie, if you have anything else to say, but I, I, I do um, I, I would like to tie your point. Back to Max Holloway's, I do, I do feel like it's really relevant, even with the Spencer the Kingfisher reference uh, of that article uh, there at MMA Fighting that you referenced. Um, basically, I just want just uh, hope I didn't cut you off, but basically, yeah, man, uh, I, I, I feel the same way, which is why I said I reluctantly picked him, and not to play the, you know, uh, you know, race card or the my experiences because it's it, my experiences and are a joke. Um, but at the same time, I, I, I do feel there's, there's a parallel here, uh, just from my amateur experience being, you know, the Hawaiian myself being from that, that, that kind of that stock coming from that, that region, uh, looking up the fighters like BJ Penn. Right. And there's just this thing where it's just like, yeah, that's right. This guy, BJ, that, that makes sense that he has a chin, you know, by the way, this is like 2005, 2006 commentary here. Like, yeah, because you know, us Hawaiians, we have chins. Like that's like a point of pride. Right. And then you go look back further, like before BJ, like, yeah, Kevin's Carrera, he had a chin too. And I used to remember like, that was a point of pride, whether it was Taekwondo, MMA, karate, or in elementary school, getting kids together around my desk while I would slam my head down on my desk and like go, ha, see no marks. I'm fine. Like it was, it was a thing, you know, like, and when I learned what kick checking was, I was like abuse and recovery theory. Fuck. Yeah. Like even though Muay Thai wasn't a thing in the nineties, I was hurting people shit in karate, people in karate tournaments because I was using leg checks. The problem is, is all these things are great until they one day stop working. And even though it sounds like we're being alarmist by saying Max Holloway could be going toward an end of his career and he hasn't hit 30 yet. Um, and again, I would never compare myself to a Max Holloway or anything like that, but whether it's my own experiences where my bottom dropped out and I know I've never made it to a pro level, but in my defense, I've thrown more punches and kicks and had them thrown at me for more years than a lot of people that are currently fighting in the UFC. Okay. I'm 35, going to be 36 years old, uh, doing some type of martial arts since I was six or seven. And I depended on my chin and my Hawaiian chin and whatever you want to say, whatever you want to call it. And all of a sudden it's just not there. And the BJ pens and all these guys with great chins who are proven and legends and all these things, right? Let's go look at the opposite end of the scale. Let's look at those guys. How did it end up for those guys? And what, what you see is that the guys with the good chins and depend on being in these wars, um, they're actually the ones that have it the hardest. You know, we always make fun of and meme the guy who gets knocked out, you know, and gets put out flash. Like those guys have the better, in my opinion. Um, their brains probably have it better. It's the guys that are in these wars that actually do have it worse. They are the ones that you do need to watch. Um, so hopefully that didn't sound too odd. Hopefully I didn't like overextend, but I wanted to validate Iggy's point there. And your guys kind of, I believe you guys kind of agree with this general theme 
uh, where maybe some people might hear our conversation, but these guys are being alarmist. Holloway is not even 30. Like, I, I, I'm just trying to explain that, like, it's these guys who you think it's not going to happen with. That's who it happens to. And it, largely it's because of their style and because of their chin. So I'm going to pick Holloway for his durability, folks. But that's the crazy thing here is even though I'm picking for his durability, it could be gone overnight. Yeah, I mean, I don't, well, as you guys mentioned, yeah, I don't that's want to the be thing like with, a doomer. Uh, oh, go ahead. Yeah, uh, that's the thing about the fight site. Everyone thinks that we're being like, we engage in doomerism all too freely. (laughs) But uh, uh, I mean, that's the thing with uh, the age thing. Everyone thinks that, oh, he's fine. He's he's only 33. Like talking about, for example, Jose Aldo. And he's clearly past his best. Age has nothing to do with it. It it all has to do with mileage and the amount of fights you've been in and the amount of wars you've been in. And Max Holloway has been in wars his entire career from the get-go. It was his style. That's where he flourished. And uh, that's the main concern here. Not that he's, oh, he's not even 30 yet. Uh, I mean, come on. He may not be uh, chronologically 30, but his body is like, I don't even want to think about what his body is like on the inside. Uh, yeah, and with cultures and gym cultures and fight cultures, it's it's um, it really brings parallels with, uh, for example, the Japanese boxers and the Korean boxers who, like, for example, uh, well, well, with these cult fight, fighting cultures where being extremely durable is a point of pride. For example, if you look at any Korean boxing match, it's almost no defense at all offense from both parties. It's like a never-ending slugfest from begin from beginning about from the beginning bell to the end and uh, from the opening bell rather. And uh, this is like the overall MMA meta right now. Everyone keeps banking on their durability and it's not going to be there forever. It works until it doesn't. And I really wish that more people looked at examples of fighters like this. Not that I want them to be examples, uh, to end up being examples like fighters like Max Holloway, but People really need to pay close attention to what is happening to them. And uh, people really need to pay close attention to what sort of gym culture is currently developing in various MMA gym across the world and other combat sports gyms across the world. And I really don't want to, don't want fighters to end up be, becoming cautionary tales. We have to really have to be mindful about really preventing it instead of trying to like uh, curtail the symptoms. How else you how else you may put it? Uh, all right, I guess that's it for me. Before I <laughs> before somebody, I start somebody make Iggy a shirt. Somebody make Iggy a shirt. Fight site. You guys put it out. Depth and defense over diversity. That that'll solve all the problems. Because even if these guys were getting paid the money they should, plus win bonuses or finish bonuses for everybody, like every organization should. Even then, it doesn't solve it. It kind of goes back to what you were saying, Iggy, with the uh, fighters probably better off focusing on depth than uh, diversity or, God forbid, some defense too, right? Yeah. I mean, I think the interesting thing, like uh, Iggy mentioned, Jose Aldo being shot, but I think um, it's pretty interesting to know guys like Jose Aldo and Rafael Asuncao who are pretty clearly past prime, even at this point, and have been past prime for several years. Their styles weren't the kind of volume overwhelming that Max Holloway's is. And I think that kind of style tends to fall apart a little bit more because it's more athletically dependent where someone like Rafael Asuncao could be like, oh, I, I'm not as durable, but I'm also not putting my chin on the line ever if I can help it. Where Max Holloway yeah. is, I'm putting my chin on the line for my offense. And sure, I have defense, 
And sure, I'm not trying to be hit, but when I'm being offensive, I'm being offensive. And I think that's kind of the thing is that, again, I don't want to be a doomer about it because this is a very, very winnable fight for Max Holloway. My pick of Calvin Cater was just, does Max Holloway think about this in the right and obvious way and do it? Because if he doesn't, it's dangerous. But if he does, it could look very, very easy. But regardless of whether he wins this fight, A, it's a dangerous fight, and B, I wouldn't expect him to age like Jose Aldo, beating guys 15, 16 years into his career who are top 15 at a good weight class. It's just, it's unfortunately not going to happen as great as he is as a fighter. So uh, we've gone past very excited for this fight to very not excited (laughs) for any fight in the near future. Uh, Paul, uh, we haven't heard from you in a while. What are your thoughts? I think with any time you go from emphasizing knockout of the night to now performance of the night, it's a very small step in trying to course correct the way fighters strategize, how they play the game. But hopefully we see a rise in fighters who are defensively savvy. And not only that, but just dial down a lot of their training. One of the ways that Robbie Lawler was able to stay successful for so long was he took about six years off of sparring after the Robbie, um, not the Robbie Lawler, after the Joey Villasenor fight, he just told his teammates, at the time at military, it's like, I'm not sparring anymore. I don't feel the need to get hit for free. And I know how to fight. It's fine. So there's a lot of short-term damage that he probably did to his career where he wasn't as sharp like in the Jacare Souza or the Tim Kennedy fight. But it might have prolonged his career just enough to where he could win the welterweight title back in the UFC. And I'm not saying everyone has to change their style and they have to become different fighters overnight. But I want to see more things where they faint or they stay sharp or they evade strikes. And more than anything, you have to pay these fighters what they're worth. And if they're going to risk life and limb, they should at least be able to retire comfortably and not end up like a Spencer Fisher where they're reliant on, I guess, the generosity of the public or have to reach out and say, hey, I want to be a cautionary tale. That should never be the case. But with the NFL trying to bury their studies, I don't have a lot of faith in the UFC to do the right thing unless they're forced to. Yeah, that's the thing with uh, uh, the military uh, fighting systems as well. That's the gym culture. People really train, you know, like there's no really, there's no set system of training for MMA. No one really uh, looks at MMA and looks, oh, I'm going to system systematize the whole thing and I'm going to break it down and then I'm going to uh, start with training defense. I'm going to start with training like uh, people for game planning or footwork. Uh, in most cases, people just come to the gym and, and then they put uh, put with some uh, like killer and uh, get dropped and see who gets dropped faster. <laughs> it's just people really look like people. It's, it's basically meathead training in those gyms. And uh, the way hard sparring is understood by people is it's uh, hard sparring is essentially a fight and it shouldn't be. It should be as a close approximation of a fight, but not really a fight. You're not trying to kill each other. Uh, and that's what, uh, uh, like, for example, a fighter like Michael Johnson, he's got a lot of miles on him. And most of those miles are outside of the octagon. It's just basically been involved in hundreds of gym wars instead of fights. And there really should be a change in that respect. And I don't think it's going to come from the UFC. It should be come, should come from the fans. It should be, it should be a real organized push for it. But uh, 
I mean, that's easier said than done. I do like the note that uh, Paul said about Robbie Lawler, because that came to my mind when I'm sure like many of us were pretty surprised with what we did see Max Holloway, whether you picked, regardless of who you picked or how you scored the fight. I think that's a fair statement as we were surprised considering the, you know, the, the training restrictions. I'm sure he was still, you know, climbing through Darren Yap's window to get strength and conditioning, but yes. Um, so you know, I guess a positive thought here, hopefully back to this fight, I guess, is that maybe Max through accident of the pandemic and having to be forced to take that time off of sparring, if indeed he in fact is sticking to a story or he is sticking to a story, but if indeed in fact the story is true, right? He didn't spar, do any of that. Maybe, you know, part of it, of course, I'm very optimistically thinking here is that maybe maybe he we do see that and we do see a bit of an extension of Holloway's career, because again, whether it's going to end as early as we're, you know, talking with our doom and gloom likeness, you know, poking fun at ourselves now or not, I do think it's a fair statement to say that like this guy's, this guy's career is not going to go uh, into his mid thirties and he's going to be in the top 10. Like he might be completely done, uh, you know, uh, and a different fighter by the time he's in his early thirties, you know, so we'll see. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's um, yeah, I've kind of gone pretty far away from this fight. Both uh, Holloway and Cater are pretty deep into their careers, and I wouldn't expect either of them to look particularly great. I think Cater's an interesting case because he spent, uh, as I mentioned before, he spent most of his career on the regionals. And there's kind of a trend in that guys like Jeremy Stevens, who have also been fighting for a while, he had his resurgence like super deep into his career. Uh, Jorge Masvidal is another one, um, where guys who haven't necessarily been fighting the best competition. Uh, can last a lot longer. And Max Holloway is decidedly not that guy, but Calvin Cater might be. So both guys are in an interesting spot. This is kind of uh, do or die in terms of the title scene for both of them. Uh, but it's also very winnable for both. And um, yeah, thanks for joining us, Stan and Paul. Uh, this was a pleasure. And um, Iggy, of course, but you're on staff, so we don't have to be nice to you. Um, <laughs> I-, I thought it was the opposite. Yeah, but... Uh, <laughs> No, it isn't. It isn't. But uh, yeah, uh, you're muted again, Dan. Dan, and you're muted. <laughs> don't let don't let this uh, further. You know, yeah, don't let this bum me out on Asians, folks. I know this was the Asian panel. Uh, invite Asians to your parties. We, they won't bum you out. This was just a weird. You know, we're just talking about fights here. It's just me. Uh, hopefully, I mean, hopefully we represented well. Otherwise, you know, it's just me. That's, that's just my well. Siberian sensibilities. <laughs> All right. Thanks for joining us. Uh, you can catch Paul. Uh, plug your stuff, Paul. Sure. So in order to save, I guess, time um, from this panel, you can go to southpawpod.com. That's where you'll find our podcast as well as our Patreon and other articles that I post as well as the breakdowns. And it's also where you can buy merch that I'm not wearing, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, you can find Dan Tom at, at Dan Tom MMA. You can see it on the Zoom and uh, the Protect Your Neck podcast. And you can find both of us, me and Iggy, on the fight site. And um, yeah, Iggy at Chungus Kano 3, I believe, and me at Shurum M says. So uh, thanks for joining us. And we'll hopefully see you later after uh, this fight goes very fun and not depressing. Yeah, be happy. (laughs) 